Welcome to Radar for Growth, brought to you by business advisory firm Pitcher Partners. This podcast series talks to the key decision makers behind some of Australia's most successful private and family businesses. I'm Heather Dawson, and in this episode, it's all about partners, lots of them. In fact, the building of an almighty partnership business forged by one extraordinary entrepreneur with a simple business message. I have a saying, and my saying is simply, if athletes hang with athletes, IT nerds hang with IT nerds, fishermen hang with fishermen, dickheads hang with dickheads, drug addicts hang with drug addicts, but good people hang with good people. So hang with the good people and just surround yourself with good people and it'll serve you well. That's Scott Didier, Managing Director and CEO of the Johns Ling Group, a disaster recovery organisation which, working with the insurance sector, swings into action to repair and rebuild in the aftermath of major catastrophic events. And Scott has indeed surrounded himself with good people. In fact, he's in partnership with professional and tradespeople right across Australia. In the process of building his business, he's become a wealthy man, but it's certainly not all about the money. Scott takes great joy in helping his carefully selected partners achieve financial security too, whatever they're standing in life. It's win-win all round with these partnership arrangements. And who gets to be a partner, how and why is a defining part of the Johns Ling story and pivotal to the company's success. So what is it about the John Ling's group? Its growth has been phenomenal, a 25% increase year on year since Scott first bought the business back in 2003. From a turnover of $12 million then, its annual turnover now is $400 million. All that driven by a northern suburbs boy from Melbourne who started out as a simple flooring apprentice. I did a flooring apprenticeship with my father. I left that pretty quickly and opened a flooring shop and then opened a couple of flooring shops, sold those and part of the sale was, that was in residential, part of the sale was that I couldn't work in residential for a couple of years. So then I went to work in the retail flooring space and gained clients such as Coles, Woolworths, Officeworks, Kmart, Target, and I worked for all the major retailers in the flooring space. And that was really good because it was repetitious work and it was a real niche because nobody actually wanted to do the work because it was generally after hours work. I really just found a specialty area which allowed me to grow the business. Those are pretty big clients though, Scott. They were great clients. They were terrific clients and they're still our clients today. They're fantastic. I think we can say Scott's entrepreneurial spirit shone out from the word go. The growth of Johnsling has been almost entirely organic. More than 90 partners now make up the group, although since the company floated on the stock exchange in 2017, three acquisitions have been made. And Scott says they'll continue to look for more of them in the months ahead. But meanwhile, the business gets on with providing its core function, which is to clean up and rebuild after a catastrophe. To understand the scale of its operation, the John Lings Group set to work when Cyclone Debbie smashed into the Queensland coast in 2017, for example, and following last year's disastrous Townsville floods. I asked Scott to tell us more about those catastrophic events. Cyclone Debbie and Townsville floods are two different catastrophes. They're both classified as catastrophes by the Insurance Council of Australia. And they're two very different type catastrophes. Cyclone Debbie was a big cyclone with a lot of structural damage, a lot of roofs, a lot of big, big damage, if you like. Townsville was a high volume damage, very low structurally. In other words, in Cyclone Debbie, big trees are falling on roofs and beams are over, walls are falling down. It's devastation structurally. Townsville 
it's 1.2 metres of water went through a lot of houses, hundreds of houses. So two very different things. How we swing into action is quite simple. We need volumes of people attending to people's needs quickly. And because we have 23 offices and 800 people, we can dispatch people to those regions very quickly. And they all know what to do. And they all know what to do. We have a catastrophe plan that swings into action and everyone knows what to do. We have a catastrophe manager and it's really about tending to the client's needs very fast. They purchase an insurance policy. They need to act on their insurance policy policy and make sure that they're serviced well as what they're paying for. And the insurance companies are happy to work with you? Insurance companies are terrific. The insurance companies really, really do care for the clients. You might from time to time hear bad press about insurance companies, but honestly, they're very serious about keeping their clients happy. Well, the insurance companies might be serious about keeping their clients happy, but I had to ask Scott about the local tradies who might feel, well, a little shoved aside when the Johns Ling big guns come in. It's a very good question. It comes up quite often. Our charter is to use all the local trades in the local areas first, and we backfill with interstate. What happens in those regions, you can't get enough tradies. You just cannot. The work is just too great. So you need to pull in people from the regions. And that is why when the Insurance Council of Australia calls it a catastrophe, the insurance companies will pay us a loading to make sure we pay trades a little bit more, make sure we can get people from interstate into the regions. Again, it's all about the customer, which insurance companies really make sure happens. Well, I think you've got a very strong philosophy about the customer. Customer comes first, is that right? The customer comes first every time. (laughs) If we look after the customer, everyone else is happy. So placing the customer first is top priority. A great business principle, of course. But when it comes to the joy Scott feels in growing his business, in fact, the most rewarding aspect of growth from Scott's point of view, it's seeing the results of hard work for the young people who join Dronsling. The most exciting moments by far are watching young people come in and take partnerships in the businesses and do really well in growing their businesses. They do really well in understanding how business works. And then as their business grows, they get rewarded financially. And that's a thank you as well as a financial reward. That's exciting for me to watch people really get rewarded for their efforts. You can imagine in a catastrophe, these business owners and these partners are working their tails off. They're doing 80, 90 hours a week and for six, eight, ten weeks on end. Now, when they get financially rewarded for that being a partner, that's a big thank you. That's very satisfying because I've seen people over the years, young partners, put deposits for houses down, buy investment properties and do really well, but they've earned it. And this is at the heart of the Johnsling story and the measure of the man behind its successful growth. Scott's good wishes towards his partners is genuine and heartfelt. His selection process for those who get to join the group is critical to success, but it's no shoo-in. Scott's very particular about who he takes on. I don't like to employ anyone that wants a job. I like to employ people that want a partnership. How do you spot a good partner? Good partner spotting is a bit of a a uniqueness to us. I look for three things first. The number one thing I look for in a good partner is integrity and then driving energy and motivation. If they don't have those things, then they really won't fit a partnership model for us because we need people that imagine the building industry. If you say you're going to be there at seven then you need to be there at five to seven. You can't say you're going to be there at seven and turn up at ten past eight. That doesn't work. So integrity is the number one thing I'll look for before I even look at their CV, before I even look at their qualifications, because they don't come into play. We don't always get it right, but, you know, I'd say we've we've got a pretty good track record of getting it right, and I'd say 90% of the time we do get it right, but it's crucial in finding the right partner. Generally, I always say... We've really got to delve in deep to find the right people, from our receptionist to a finance person to a customer service person to a supervisor to an estimator. Please don't come and just want a job. 
because if you just want a job, we're the wrong place for you. What I want you to come with is you want career aspirations and you want to be a partner. I want you to want to have my job. You know, the receptionist, if I go to reception and I ask the girl, I said, hey, you're going to enjoy your job? And she says, I love my job. I said, where do you want to be next year? If she says, oh, I love it so much here, I just want to be here at reception, that's the wrong answer. I want her to say she wants her boss's job. And then we've got a good hire. Do you personally go and meet these partners? Absolutely. These potential partners? Absolutely, yeah. There's not a hire in our company that I don't look at because it's crucial. So I asked Scott, where do these people come from? It really doesn't matter where they come from. And we've had people come from policemen to concreters to office workers to anything. It really doesn't matter where the people come from because we have a philosophy, and I especially have this philosophy, that if they have driving energy, they have integrity, and they're extremely motivated, then we can teach the skills. If they have the skills and they don't have integrity, driving energy, motivation, it doesn't work because I can teach the skills, I can't teach integrity. I can't teach motivation and I certainly can't teach driving energy. So before we even look at their qualifications, we need to identify those three things first and then we go forward. So that's the first thing I look at in someone and I, I want to know all about their family. I want to know about how they went at school and did they play team sport, their brothers and sisters and it pieces all together and you can see. Tell me what your dad did. Tell me what your mum did. It's quite funny, but it's quite unique. We have to delve in to see what someone's DNA is on integrity and driving energy. It's crucial to a partner. I look for people who've done their drinking, done their travelling, perhaps done their womanising, got a lot out of their system, and they simply want a career. And the best ones that I like to find are men or women. It doesn't matter. We have a lot of females work for us, and they're fantastic. But let's say I'm talking to a guy. He's done all those things, and he might be not say, look, tell me about your family situation. He might say, look, I just got engaged. That's great. That's great, because he's looking for a secure future for his family, and he wants someone to back him. And we'll certainly back them all the way. And I believe that you've got some rock stars working for you. We've flown the name rock stars. People are copying it now, but let me (laughs) tell you, we've flown the word rock stars. Yeah, we identify rock stars. We look and constantly search for rock stars. And it is quite funny, the areas that I tend to find rock stars, I would say 60, 70% of our partners don't come from the industry, but they're people with high integrity, great driving engine, great motivation. And I'm a firm believer in people like that just don't fail. If you give them a challenge because they honour their word and they honour their commitment, they won't fail. So there we have it, the keys to success in building a partnership empire, taking a personal role in selecting partners, searching for integrity, nurturing everyone, and finding the rock stars who will never let you down. But how do these partnerships actually work? I asked Scott to explain a bit more about his partnership model and how it creates real incentives for those who become partners in the group. The growth of our business has really been paramount, I would say, by what we call our 80-20 model. So all of our business, the group, Johnsling Group, we only desire to own 80% of any business. 20% we like to offer to two managing partners. Sometimes they're three, but usually there's two, two at 10%. And we have a partnership model where those people come in and hold 10% equity each. They're directors of the business. They're true equity participants. They work with the business, creating the business plan, the budgets. They're all over their profit and loss. They're all over their financials. We have monthly reporting by way of what we call a GO meeting, which is an abbreviation for group operation meetings, where they report against their business plans. A couple of reasons why they've been successful is, firstly, if it's a startup, they come in at zero. If it's a buy-in, they come in at a very, very cheap price and we vendor finance them in so they don't have to come up with any money. Now then if their business is growing, their payback is super quick. And if you can imagine 
15 years ago, we turned over $12 million. This year, we'll do over $400 million. So the growth has been rapid. So the payback, they really get dividends very quickly. So we then have a, a dividend policy that we pay dividends every quarter. So what happens by way of the go meetings and by way of the fact that they're in control of their business plan and their budgeting and their profit and loss report is totally transparent. They can see the levers they pull to make a difference to their business and they have the autonomy to do so. So once they get the autonomy to do so, they make a difference to their business. Once they start getting dividends because they're growing their business, it becomes real. From that leap of faith, all of a sudden, well, hold on, this is not a leap of faith anymore. This is actually real and I'm being financially rewarded by dividends, and I'm also being rewarded by the group allowing me the autonomy to influence my business. So put those things together and people really believe, and then they really take off. They just simply take off, and the partners grow their business. So you can imagine a partner, and I'll give you an example of a partner in Brisbane who was involved in a catastrophe in Brisbane about seven years ago. It was a young rock star that I found and encouraged him to open our Gold Coast office. He went from our Gold Coast office to our Brisbane office, and he managed the Brisbane office. And he said to me, he lived in Bacchus Marsh, he said to me, Scott, I want to take my family out of Bacchus Marsh. I can't see a future for myself in Bacchus Marsh, and I really just want to buy a house. I just want to buy a house. He's married with two young daughters. So he went to Brisbane, and we had a massive catastrophe in Brisbane seven years ago. And he worked in that catastrophe probably seven, eight months, night and day. We couldn't get him to slow down. He was worn out in the end, but he handled it and he built a staff of about 80 people from a standing start and he worked his tail off. Well, that year I know that he got in excess of $800,000 in dividends and he bought a house. And that's fantastic. That's just a great story. And we've been able to do that many times with people getting serious dividends to set themselves up. But they've worked hard. They've earned it all and it's fantastic. And that's where our growth comes from because people, as I said before, people know it's real. Scott Didier doesn't often get things wrong, but when he has, he says it's issues around people that get to him most. He says he's still kicking himself about a couple of rock stars that he lost through a lapse of attention. I really don't like losing good people, and a couple of times over the last 15 years, we've lost good people, two in particular, that still annoy me somewhat, where it was totally our fault, because we didn't progress their career fast enough, and we didn't see it, and we didn't catch it in time. So unfortunately those people, and I wish them all the best, and I mean this, they got stuck in a rung on the ladder and we allowed them to stay there. With rock stars, you can't leave them plateau. You've got to keep advancing, raising the bar for them because they're high achievers. And two times in the last 15 years, we've missed that. We've missed the mark and that's, um, that frustrates me that we allowed that to happen. That's a dilemma when you grow though, isn't it? Because you can get to know people really well when you're a relatively small company, but as you get bigger and bigger, it's harder to communicate that's, with everybody. You know what, and that's exactly what happened. I didn't see it myself. It's got a bit big and you can't have touch on everyone. But now we do a biennial talent review, what we call a talent review, where I sit down with our HR department for three days every six months and we review every person So we try and catch every person. Scott Didier has driven an extraordinary growth path for the Johns Ling Group. 25% year on year ain't bad. Which begs the question, how does it keep going? Is there ever a time for a breather? What happens if the business starts to plateau? Well, that, Scott says, is out of the question. We can't plateau. We've grown our business 25% year on year for over 15 years and I'm just of the belief we must grow all the time. If we plateau, we're going backwards. So we have a big focus on growth and we measure it every month. And it's the one cadence our partners must deliver on is growth. We can't have a partner come into a business and it plateau. Unfortunately, that doesn't work for us. Um, the partner must demonstrate growth even when we're busy. We must grow. Massive focus on that. 
So that puts a bit of pressure on you? It does, but it's good, healthy pressure. We need to grow. We can't plateau. It's not healthy for us. It's not good for morale. It's not good for our energy. It's not good for our culture. To have growers in the business, to have people high on energy and a lot of driving energy, if they're not growing, they get stagnant, they get bored, they'll move on. So it's beholden of us to make sure we've got the energy, we're growing, we're seizing opportunities, and we're excited about it. It's really important. Scott's an extremely successful businessman with assorted business interests. But his life is not all about business. He's enjoyed some success in the film world, and he's also put his drive and influence to work in the world of medical research, specifically to find a cure for a dreadful childhood disease. He'll tell us more about that in a moment. First, Scott Didier, the movie maker. That really started as a hobby. I enjoy writing. Simply, I just find it enjoyable to write. So I wrote a treatment, which turned into a script for a film called Blinder. That project took me 14 years. Pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down. But it came to a point in 2011 where I realised that I had to finish it. So I committed the funds and the resources to do it. And I remember it being quite funny. The first night on set, there was 150 people there on the production team. And I thought, wow, this is real. It was good. We finished that film and it had a good release. And it hasn't made money yet, but we got a little bit back, which was fine. It's a really good experience. And then in 2016, I made a documentary called Out Back and Under. It's now showing on Virgin at the moment, and it's with a distributor in Melbourne who will distribute it. That really came about because when I was looking for distribution for Blinder in America, all they wanted to know was about Australian Outback and sharks (laughs) and crocodiles. And I didn't have any of that in my football film. (laughs) So the documentary was purely pitched to the American audience to show them all about Australia, Outback and underwater Australia, which was a lot of fun making that. Perhaps it's a good thing for a, a really busy business entrepreneur to have a creative outlet like that? Yeah, absolutely. That's well said, Heather, to be honest. I always played football and that was an outlet for me, but you can't play football forever. So this has been quite a good outlet. I enjoy I don't know if I'll do many more, but maybe one day. But that's about it for now. But it's a lot of fun. And from the fun of making films, we turn to a much more serious endeavour that Scott has become involved in. And it's really become a life mission to find a cure for epidemolysis bullosa. I asked Scott why he selected this cause. I've selected this cause purely because a friend of mine's daughter has it, and it's known as the cruelest disease known to mankind as far as pain goes. And basically what it is is children are born and they lack a protein called collagen 7, and collagen 7 is the protein that binds the skin to the body. It's the glue, if you like. And children are born lacking that protein, and their skin simply doesn't stick to their body. It comes off with friction burns. It's just a terrible, terrible, sad disease, and it's very hard to even show people photos of it. It's cruel. And when we looked into it, there was nothing in Australia about finding a cure at all. So I formed a committee, and we started a foundation called the EB Research Foundation, and we started at a purely to find a cure. We spent the first two years going around the world looking to see who was doing what in respect of EB because we didn't want to double up. And it turned out that the best company that we saw doing the best research was in New York and they called the EB Research Partnership, ironically. So after about 12 months, we decided to join with them. So we joined with the New York branch now and it is quite amazing now the amount of scientific research being done to find a cure for EB. We will find a cure and it's not far away. It's amazing. Scott Didier, the philanthropist, making things happen. As we near the end of this podcast episode, let's return to the Johns Ling Group, so successful in maintaining growth consistently year on year. But, I asked Scott Didier, if there was a pivotal moment in the growth of the business, what would it be? 
obviously a pivotal moment was when we floated the company in October 2017. That was a pivotal moment where it was great for all the partners to do well out of it financially and have retained equity. So that was a, a really satisfying moment that lasted about 24 hours because the next day we've got to get on with it again. We had a function when we floated the company and everyone had equity in the business. All of our partners have equity. So all of the partners did financially very well, which they thoroughly deserved. But as I said the night when I had to say a few words, I said, we can consider this. We may have won a grand final, but tomorrow pre-season starts and we start again. And that's what we do. And we start again and we grow. And we've, and we've grown a lot since that in two years. That was a pivotal moment. And I think a key pivotal moment is an ongoing moment when I see partners come into the business and they accept a partnership, they take a leap of faith because they can't see it or touch it. They take a leap of faith and within 6, 12, 18 months, they start getting their dividends as a true partner and they see that it's real. That's a pivotal moment that I love seeing. I've seen it many times and I love seeing that happen because it's them that took the leap of faith and I like to repay that. That's Scott Didier, Managing Director and CEO of John's Ling Group. And I leave the final words to Scott as he considers both the business and personal impacts of floating this highly successful business. It's changed the business from a point of view. It's given us obviously a lot of capital to go and do acquisitions. We hadn't done any acquisitions, a couple of small ones, but really we hadn't really done any meaningful acquisitions when we were a private company up till 2017, purely because we really didn't have the funds to do so. So everything was organic. After we've floated, we have a lot of access to capital and money to go and acquire businesses. So it's changed us from a company perspective is we really are an aggressive growth strategy. We have the money and the manpower to go and do it, which we will. That's exciting. So there's a whole new facet now of a team we have that look for acquisitions, look for people. It's really exciting. We know we did three this year. We'll do more next year and we'll continue to do them if they fit and they're aligned with our business. From a personal point of view, it's changed the landscape for my daily grind, if you like. I have to meet with investors. I have to give investors updates, which is great. That's fine. I'll be very respectful to all of our investors. They've, they've shown faith in me to invest in the company. I want to return that faith and, and show it to them. So that's OK. It's just a little bit more work, a little bit more time, but I actually quite enjoy it. The investors that we have are, are terrific. Was the float experience itself interesting? You obviously were successful. It was very interesting because it was foreign to me. I hadn't been involved in a public company before. So learning that process and working through that process was really interesting and quite enjoyable. Quite enjoyable. So it's good. And it's worked quite well. I mean, we floated our shares were a dollar. Now I think they're over two dollars. So it's obviously worked quite well. Scott Didier, John Ling's group. And that ends this episode of Radar for Growth, brought to you by business advisory firm Picture Partners. We trust you've enjoyed listening to the stories behind some of Australia's most successful private and family businesses and the key decision makers who've been pivotal to their growth. Radar for Growth is brought to you by business advisory firm Picture Partners. The podcast is marketed by Wavelength Creative and is produced by Sound Cartel.